0: It is Canuck Central Satyar Shaw with Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650. Dan Riccio away again today, but we'll be back the rest of the week, hopefully. I think he went to like 45 weddings in the span of you know, six <laughs> days, batch, but we'll get to that coming up in a bit. And Sportsnet 650's Canuck Central is, as, as always, presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. And, batch. Man, so you're fresh back from traveling and gallivanting in Europe, and now you're doing Canuck Central. Like, I, I think I have more questions for you than you have for me, despite being away for a bit.
1: Yeah, I really have one question, which is, what did I miss? If the Canucks made all these trades and and sh- reshaped their core like we've heard that they're going to? Like, what's happened here? Has it been, like, an exciting and riveting few weeks? Because I've been in Europe, so, like, you know, has JT Miller been traded yet? Like, fill me in. What's happening?
0: Uh, he's been traded multiple times by media and fans, but the <laughs> Vancouver Canucks themselves have yet to pull the trigger on the deal. And it's really funny because, I mean, how long were you gone, Batch?
1: Uh, just over two weeks.
0: Just yeah. just over two two weeks. So, um, nothing has changed in the span of the two weeks you've been away. But it's been really fascinating seeing the same type of information get repackaged and re-delivered and <laughs> re-brought in. And I'm not I'm not criticizing anybody, but it's just going back it's this to... this time of the year. It, right? Exactly, and it goes back to what we've talked about so much about this team. Right? We know changes are coming. We know they got to figure out contracts for key players, and if they can't, they're gonna trade them. But here's the thing, they haven't figured out if they can sign him yet. So, I mean, that's where we're at. So nothing's really changed over the past two and a half weeks, Batch, outside of the fact that we've been talking about the same thing in maybe 80 different ways.
1: Yeah, well, it's really the calm before the storm, isn't it? Because I think we all expect, as you allude to, that that storm is going to come for the Vancouver Canucks. What form it takes, though, to me is going to be fascinating. And, um, you know, I, I, I all joking aside, I was keeping my finger on the pulse of what was happening while I was away. So, yeah. you know, you see the comments from, from Nick Kiprios, our, our colleague at Sportsnet 590, the fan in, in Toronto uh, late last week about, you know, the country club atmosphere and wanting to shake things up. Uh, and, you know, it really got me thinking that when, when Jim Rutherford arrived, he came with this reputation of, Trader Jim. Mm -hmm. And everybody thought, oh, my goodness, he's made all these trades. He's always been very active in terms of reshaping his rosters. What's going to happen? And we're still waiting. Uh, in large part because of the situation they were in season at the time he took over. He said he wanted to take time to analyze the roster. Of course, he brought Patrick Alvin in as well, and he had to take time to analyze the roster. Plus, the, you, know, you look back to the trade deadline, they made the only move that they were really under pressure to make, which was moving on from Tyler Mott. And so now we get closer to the offseason. Of course, we still have the Stanley Cup final, which I'm incredibly excited for. And we're going to preview here coming up in a few moments. But, um, you know, you have all of that pressure building and what's going to happen and all this time for fans and media to speculate and wonder and reports to be out there and people to be talking about it. And, you know, it it almost feels like the floodgates are going to open relatively quickly, probably at the draft. And I'm fascinated to see what this management group chooses to do and how active they really are able to be at the end of the day.
0: Well, you're right about they want to be active. They want to make a lot of different moves. And this is a team that does understand what they need to accomplish. And they've been very straightforward about that, whether it's Patrick Alvin or Jim Rutherford talking about the need for cap space, making smart decisions, wanting to keep their best players, but also being mindful of how much they can afford to pay those players if they want to improve the rest of the team. These are things they've talked about. Now, we're going to go through a lot of those dif- different things throughout the show here. We have Frank Valley coming up at 4.30. We are going to talk to Eric Erlinson, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning coming up at 5.00. And at 5.30, one of your favorites, Don Taylor, Is coming up here on Canuck Central, but you mentioned a country club thing, and you know what? Let's just start there as far as what your reaction to that was, and and then we'll work our way through what happened with the Rangers. Uh, A question we got from one of our listeners in the mailbag on Friday we didn't get to, and we're going to get to that actually right off the bat coming up in just a couple of moments here. But before we do all that, I want to get your reaction to that report about the country club atmosphere stuff that came out last week. Because I know you also kind of, you were a bit surprised by that too when you heard that.
1: A a little bit. uh, But when I thought about it a little bit more, it, it makes sense to me. In the sense that, you know, this is a Canucks team that over the past few years has not really had a great level of success. And there have been a variety of different, you know, issues organizationally, you know, the COVID outbreak they had uh, a season ago. Now it was, and then coaching change and upheaval and, and all of these various things that have happened And when you compare where the Canucks are in terms of how far away they are from being a contender to where Jim Rutherford's Pittsburgh Penguins were, and the standard that a guy like Sidney Crosby would set every day coming to the rink and every day at practice, you know, in some ways it doesn't surprise me that Jim Rutherford would, would think that or something like it, you know, whether he is directly quoted as saying it's a country club atmosphere or whether that's just sort of, you know, the the vibe that, that people are getting out of Vancouver. Look, this team hasn't been good enough. They haven't won enough games. Um, it, uh, to a certain extent, they do need to be better and they do need to take things more seriously, both on and off the ice. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to provide incredible insight because over the past couple of years with COVID, we haven't been around the team and had the same level of access as we normally would. So it's not like I can sit here and go, Oh, I'm in that dressing room all the time. I don't get that vibe or conversely I'm in that dressing room all the time. And I agree completely. It's a country club atmosphere. I don't have that kind of feel, but for a guy like Jim Rutherford, who's coming from an organization where he had championship level teams year in and year out, coming to Vancouver to a group that doesn't have playoff experience to a group that isn't used to winning that may not have their standards at the same level, uh, as a club like the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, we've heard Patrick Alvin allude to this in the past too, talking about practice habits and, and things like this. And, uh, you know, we, we made a lot of the the comments Rutherford made at the end of the season before Boudreaux's future was, was firmly put in place about, you know, needed to be better getting out of their own zone and transition and and some of these sorts of things Uh, you know to me it it kind of tracks with some of the comments we've heard around this management group since they arrived in terms of of their feel for this group and you know whether it's a country club atmosphere or whether it's a group that's just not good enough and needs to get better either way um, you know we've all watched this team this past season and yes they went under you know on a great run under boudreaux but they still have to get better they still have to get far better if they want to you know be a stanley cup contender
0: well and and that's the biggest thing the thing that caught me really was just the how dramatic it sounded you know what i mean like you know hates the room (laughs) and you know it's a country club and and hey i'm not disputing the reporting what i would say though is The less dramatic version, like you mentioned, was mentioned by management itself as far as what they wanted and what needed to change and practice habits and leadership and and all those sort of things. The stuff Boudreaux talked about when it came to being prepared, self-preparation and all those sort of things. And, you know, when we start talking, you know, to... Uh, leaders or the best leaders around the game, and we, you know, especially when those things started coming out about the Canucks, you know, earlier this season about the lack of leadership, they were struggling, and all those sort of things. This was a big topic of conversation, and I remember talking to a number of ex-players, and Ken Danical was one of them. And the two things we, we asked them what what does what is good leadership? Well, how does that personify itself? And he said two things: practice habits and self preparation. What are the two things this organization has talked about? During the course of the season. Practice, Practice habits, habits and self-prep- self-preparation. You know, yeah. obviously that has been lacking or needs to improve. Now, I don't know if it's as dramatic as Report was or if, if if Rutherford feels that strongly about it, but they've said a lesser version or less dramatic version of that. And that's something to keep in mind. And like I mentioned on Friday, Batch, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I do believe that, and they're not gonna go out and do the JB go Antoine Roussel thing you know, let's go and spend a bunch of money on a character guy or let's go make a big trade for a character guy. I don't think they're going to spend massive assets on it. But I do think that at some point this offseason, it'll bring somebody in who they believe is going to contribute to that part of the organization.
1: Yeah. And I would imagine they've had extensive talks about, you know, players in the room that they maybe feel are not contributing to that enough to this point. And uh, we know they have to try and create cap space one way or another anyway. So there are going to be roster players. uh, If they're able to move them out, that will be departing just because they, you know, they need to find a way to clear cap space. Uh, There's one way to do that. Really. It's to trade guys away. Um, So you know, all of these things combined sort of make for a perfect storm where it's an organization that's prepared for wide scale change, whether it's players departing that aren't going to fit in long term, whether it's finding guys, whether it's young players, whether it's veterans um, that can come in and and help uh, improve some of that culture, let's say, Um, you know, that that's what the organization seems poised to do. But, you know, again, the question always comes back for me to how capable are they going to be of doing that and how much is their cap situation going to limit them in the things that they want to try and do? Because, uh, honestly, you, you look at the, the situation this club is in right now, and I don't envy Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford coming in here because it's, it's not an easy task. Uh, not a not an easy task and in fact uh you know Rutherford has has said that himself he mm-hmm. said it's going to be extremely difficult it's not going to happen overnight uh but you know how they choose to navigate this summer in particular I think will let us know a whole lot about the way they plan to do business going forward
0: it is Canuck Central Satyar Shah with Brandon Bachelor, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks uh co-hosting today's show and you know We'll continue this discussion right into what the New York Rangers are going to do. We we joked around a bit last week uh, when Jamie Dodd was on the show, too. And, you know, we had some people texting in, always asking us about J.T. Miller. And, and the J.T. Miller discussions always kind of kick up. And some people said, is this J.T. Miller central or is it Canuck central? But, you know, kind of staying in line with that, uh, you know, let's kind of move into the New York Rangers side of this. Because this, we got this question from Alistair. Uh, on Twitter the other day on Friday. We didn't get to but he asked, if the Rangers are gone in six games, are they going to be extra aggressive this offseason? What type of approach did they take? And we didn't get to the question in the mailbag, and then lo and behold, the Rangers lose in six games, and then all of a sudden, the Rangers become super interesting. And let's start with the J.T. Miller situation, because we all know the New York Rangers were interested in J.T. Miller this past season, but obviously were not able to agree to a trade with the Vancouver Canucks. The question is... Is that a team now that after getting to the Eastern Conference final to game six against the Tampa Bay Lightning, are they now at a spot where they're not going to be going after J.T. Miller anymore? Or do you think that because do they view him now as that one missing piece that puts them over the top?
1: Yeah, I'll be interested to get your thoughts on this. To me, and I would love to say the opposite of this because we're here hosting a, a sports radio show in the Canucks' offseason, and it would be great fodder for us to talk about. Uh, you know, if if I believed anyway that that JT Miller, you know, was a player of the Rangers were going to go after aggressively, but I just don't see how they find the cap space to do it. You know, you look at their cap situation. Uh, Mika Zabinajad is is Going into a, a deal that's going to pay him $8.5 million per season. Adam Fox is going to be paid $9.5 million per season starting next year. Uh, you know, Keandre Miller has one more year on his entry level contract, and he's a restricted free agent, and he's looking like a high end defenseman that they're going to have to pay. Um, you know, they've got Igor Shosturkin on a, a pretty team friendly deal right now, but it's, you know, not too far down the road that you have to look at extending what, you know, is certainly a franchise goaltender now as well i just don't see you know whatever you think the number is going to be for jt miller on a long-term contract i just don't see how they're going to be able to fit it into their cap structure with you know the the players that that they have already signed to these big extensions and then you look at some of the guys that they have on their roster that are going to be free agents andrew kopp who they brought in at the trade deadline and ended up giving up a first round pick for is an unrestricted free agent. Would they like to bring him back in? Can he be, uh, you know, a long-term fit there? Or is he someone that, that tests the open market? Uh, and, you know, you could even speculate as to whether they could afford to fit Andrew cop in. And he's set to make, I don't know what, three, million dollars plus less than JT Miller. So, uh, you know, again, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say, Sat, but I just don't see how the Rangers and JT Miller make sense anymore because of the way their cap structure is is looking like it's going to be set up for the next few years.
0: I don't see them all of a sudden moving on Braden Schneider to make a deal for JT Miller. Like I, I just don't see that, especially now with how Schneider played. And like you mentioned, the cap situation. I think part of their motivation was we can get two runs at five million. for JT who fits in really nicely. You don't make the cop deal. And for next year, you can figure it out as well. And You'd get two runs with JT and then, hey, we'll see what happens after those two years. I think that was a big part of the Rangers' motivation. But I mean, I don't think the Rangers are going to be completely out of the picture this offseason. Now, I could be wrong about that and maybe they have no interest in him. But I could see them still hanging around and saying, listen, uh, we we may not be able to give you that first round pick you want now. Maybe we'll give you a future one because we traded our first. But the same package remains on the table. Niels Lundqvist, maybe a Filipino, maybe a future pick or something along those lines. But I don't see them budging over that. I'm not I'm not sure that changes things from Vancouver's perspective because that wasn't a deal they were really enamored with to begin with. Now, if you don't get the first, it, it, does Kraftsov get put in there? I, I could see New York still hanging around on the outskirts of things in the negotiations and seeing if their package just moves the needle enough of Vancouver. Because I do think Niels Lundqvist is somebody that at least people in the organization do think highly of. But I don't think they're going to be offering above that. So it's very much, hey, here's our best offer. And it's the same deal we were offering you during the season.
1: Well, and here's the other thing that we have to look at with the Rangers is, okay, so they, they've got these big contracts that are committed. When you have players on your roster that are making a lot of money, it means you have to find guys on lower money deals, entry level deals or deals around a million bucks or below lower down your roster that can help you in the years to come. Well, Braden Schneider is set to make 925,000 for the next two seasons. And so is Niels Lundqvist. So those are guys that the Rangers might actually need to help them further down their roster because of the money they're committing to Fox and to Panarin and to Zabinajad and, and onward it goes. So, um, you know, if anything, uh, you look at where the Rangers sit after a pretty good playoff run here. And, and I would almost assume that Braden Schneider is, you know, no player in the NHL is untouchable, but I, if I'm, you know, Chris Drury, I don't want to part with a player yeah. like that. I might need him down my lineup making $925,000 and helping me for the next couple of years.
0: Well, the reality though, for the Rangers is that they have a lot of young players. They have a couple of guys coming into on the back end. Schneider's going to play next season. And then that sets up your right side. You have Adam Fox, you have Jacob Truva, and you have Braden Schneider. Those are your three right-handed defensemen. L- Niels Lundqvist is not going to play next season on the big club as a righty. Plus you have Zach Jones, another young defenseman who has some potential. And so all of a sudden, you know, that's a couple of guys. They even have some other guys too coming that people are high on. Then you look at their forwards. I mean, hey man, I talk to people around the league. They say Brennan Ottman is the real deal. Like he's going to come out and be a star player. And so they have him, they got Kraftsov, and you have Kako and these guys you got to figure out. So I think that's a team that still is going to make deals. I'm just not sure that JT is going to be the, the, the deal they go after the top guys with. Because this brings us to the Kapo-Kako side of things. Because he is very much being talked about right now because he got scratched for game six. People are wondering yeah. what's going on with his future. But he was a second overall pick. And as much as he struggled and, and they, they want more from him, are they going to punt on that? for a guy they have to pay a massive contract to in a year. I'm just, I just think he might be too blue chip a player for them to want to part for a rental.
1: Yeah. And again, in these sorts of conversations to me, I always try to put myself in the shoes of the general manager that would be making these sorts of decisions. So in this case, it's Chris jury with the Rangers. Um, if I'm moving Capo caco who, you know, again, as you said, slow start to his NHL career, but he's still a premium asset, 21-year-old uh, forward who, you know, yes, he was scratched, but had some good moments in the playoffs this year as well. You know, if, if I'm moving him in a deal to try and help my team, I want a guy that is cost-controlled, and has term left coming back the other way so that I have certainty about what my cap structure is going to look like. Now, you know, you, you could do a, 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 you know, a a sign and trade or a trade and sign where you trade for a guy like JT Miller, you have the conversation with him about what the contract's going to look like before the trade happens. And then you sign him long-term and maybe that's something that the Rangers could carve out in terms of their cap structure. But uh, you know, if I wanted to move a guy like capo caco to me, I would want a player probably a little bit younger than JT Miller, someone that was, you know, cost controlled for a bit of time, someone that has team control for a bit of time a- and probably comes in a lower cap hit than what Miller's going to fetch. And I i You know, to me, again, you know, never say never. I just don't know if there's a a marriage there between the Canucks and the Rangers in this situation. But that's the great thing about the offseason is things can change fast. If the Rangers find a way to free up some cap space or the Canucks uh, are willing to take some money on the other way in the deal in terms of, you know, taking on a roster player that makes a little bit more then, then maybe it makes more sense in terms of the cap structure for the Rangers.
0: Ultimately, the question comes down to what is Kako's upside? And, you know, some now believe his upside is going to be like a second line player. And if that's the case, how much does that move the needle? It ultimately comes down to how you view him and how does the industry view him as a player? And we'll see if somebody comes with an offer sheet this offseason and what the offers are for him. But I think it was Larry Brooks who mentioned this a few months back, that if the Rangers move Kako, they'd be looking to do a one-for-one type of deal. Like, would they do a one-for-one? Would Vancouver do that? And ultimately, it comes down to Vancouver's calculus on Kako Kako. Is he still a player in line to have a lead upside? If yes, maybe that's something you consider doing. But if not, from Vancouver's perspective even, is that a guy who has a high enough ceiling for you to just take him back in that type of a deal?
1: Yeah, and, you know... With Miller too coming off a a career year, you could argue that his value will never be higher than it is right now after the season he had, Uh, you know, not saying I, I don't believe in JT Miller, but he's getting to the point in his career in terms of age where it's entirely possible that last season for the Canucks. May be the best season he has in his NHL career. Now, I'm not saying that it will be. You know, it's entirely possible he comes back uh, next year, whether he's with the Canucks or with another team and continues to build on the great season he had and goes on to greater things. But there is a very real possibility that the time is now to cash in on JT Miller's value and limiting the return by. You know, agreeing to a one for one deal, regardless of how much you believe in the player coming back. You know, to me, it feels like there could be better deals out there for a player like JT Miller from other teams Mm -hmm. so uh, you know we'll have to wait and see you know all of the talk going into the trade deadline was you know maybe his value goes down if they don't move him the other side of that coin is maybe if you move him in the offseason you get more teams interested and you can have a bit of a bidding war and i'm sure that's what rutherford and alvin and the canucks would like to happen uh but it remains to be seen whether there is a long lineup of Of suitors for JT Miller or whether it ends up Mm -hmm. being just a handful of teams that that are in the mix and interested in acquiring him.
0: Well, it it is going to be fascinating and we'll see if anything has changed or if there's anything new on that front when Frank Zeravali from Daily Faceoff joins us coming up in the next segment. Now, before we get out of here, uh, let's do a quick little preview on the betting odds and on the Stanley Cup final, kicking off game one on Wednesday between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. We'll dig into it a bit deeper on the preview itself coming up uh, in the six o'clock hour. We'll also talk uh, a lot of other things coming up then as well. But bet on hockey like never before,' we'll play now sports your local BC sports book. And looking at the um odds to win the series, Tampa, despite winning back to back Stanley Cups, they're pretty heavy underdogs here, batch. two point six on uh, for their odds to win the series, whereas Colorado is coming in at one point five and on game one. It's pretty much identical on the money line. 2.4 to pick Tampa to win on the road, and Colorado is 1.6 on home ice. I mean, honestly, I, I've very much been on Tampa's in Tampa's corner this entire postseason, and I mentioned even last series that if Tampa and Colorado make it to the finals, I firmly believe Tampa's going to win this thing. But what are your thoughts initially of this series between these two massive powerhouses?
1: Well, I'm a bit hesitant to give my thoughts because, as you know, Sat, when we would talk on the pregame roundtables during the regular <laughs> season, every time I tried to give betting advice, it, it you know blew up in my face. Whether we were going into a game is like, oh, definitely bet the over. There's going to be a oh, ton yeah. of goals in this one. It'd be like a one-nothing <laughs> snooze fest. So, uh, you know, take that into account, dear listener, when, when you try to read into what I'm going to say about this because I've consistently been absolutely wrong about these things. But, you know, with odds like that, uh, to me, you have to bet the Lightning. Uh, You know, even even if you believe that the Avalanche are going to win this series, it's going to be a close series. I don't think any of us are expecting, um, you know, a four-game sweep either way. This is a series that's going to go six or seven. It's going to be close. And, you know, when you get odds like that on a team that, you believe is going to be at least in it with a chance to win the series. It's not a situation where, you know, you think the avalanche will completely outclass them, or at least I don't. Then you know, you know, to me that's that's a bet that I'm planning to make before the start of this series personally, just because um, you know, the odds are too good not to mm. believe in the two time defending Stanley Cup champions who have arguably the best goaltender in the planet playing between the pipes for them.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. And we'll dig a bit deeper into some of the Conn Smythe odds and we'll do a deeper dive into the Stanley Cup final between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. All right, we'll keep things going here on Canuck Central. It is Satya Shaw with Brendan Batchelor up next, it is Frank Valley right here on Sportsnet 650. One series to go. It is Canuck Central, as always, presented by your local Grip Auto and Tire location, friendly service, and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Satyar Shah with Brandon Batchelor here on Canuck Central. We're going to be joined by Frank Valley, our weekly insider from Daily Faceoff. And one more round to go, Batch, and then we're into the offseason for every single team. And I'm really excited about this cup final between Tampa and Colorado. And I liked what Friedman and Merrick were saying about it too. It's It's legitimately a powerhouse final. Like, we're not talking about, you know, a team that got in there. Like, this is very much the two top teams ahead of the season. People picked and looked at and said, hey, wouldn't it be wild if these two teams would head-to-head? And now we have that, the two big powers facing one another in in the cup final.
1: Yeah, I'm more excited for this Stanley Cup final than any Cup final since 2011, to be honest. And I think it has a chance to be the best Stanley Cup final since 2011 as well. Uh, when when you look at the fact that uh, it's the two-time defending champs. You know, I-, I talked about this a couple of months ago. This was exactly the matchup I wanted to see at the end of the season. The two-time defending champs against the upstart top team in the league, the new kids on the block in the Colorado Avalanche. I think it's going to be a gripping series. It's going to be close. It's going to be hard fought and it's going to be absolute must watch.
0: Well, let's get into it with Frank Valley from Daily Faceoff as he joins us here on Canuck Central. And Frank, I mean, one more round to go and the the work doesn't stop for you. I mean, it gets even more intense once the cup final ends with the draft and free agency and trades and all that sort of stuff. But how excited are you to see these two powerhouses go head to head?
2: Yeah, really excited. I mean, you look at the way that this is all unfolded, uh these playoffs, you know, this season has been unbelievable for a number of different reasons. The goal scoring being up, the uh you know, even the way the game has been played, even I think officiated as well. Um I'm sure there's some detractors out there that would disagree. It, it feels like the game is at an optimal level in terms of being uh aesthetically pleasing. Uh, with all the talent that's on display and the playoffs haven't disappointed at all. So to get to this point with the two time defending champs and, and, and going up against another juggernaut in the Colorado avalanche and all the skill that they bring to the table, it's, I, I you know, we can go through the last 25 years and look at all the different cup final matchups. This is, I think right up there in terms of the best.
1: And hopefully it, it lives up to the hype here as well, Frank. There's also a lot of storylines going into the series revolving around injuries for both teams. Mm-hmm. And I know this kind of information is hard to come by at this time of the season, but do you get a sense on what we can expect in terms of Braden Point and Nazim Kadri and the Avalanche goaltending situation as well going into this?
2: Yeah, so Brendan, my understanding is that Braden Point is expected to play in game one. Uh, He was very, very close against the New York Rangers in Game 6 on Saturday night. They probably could have played, and had it been an elimination game, he most likely would have. In this case, he gets Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday additional days of rest and rehab. I'd have to think that he's in the lineup to kick off Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. I, I can't say the same about Nazem Kadri. I personally believe it's a long shot, especially at the start of the series, to see him in the lineup. And the reason for that is the thumb was just absolutely mangled. Needed surgery. Um, There's just no real way to protect the thumb. Like, you can add some extra padding. You can make the glove a little bit thicker. But there's no doubt that if he plays, guys are going to be whacking. We saw Leon Dreisaitl and the beating that his ankle took teams knowing he had that high ankle sprain I'm not even sure that's how you actually attack a high ankle sprain but that's a story for another day and in net I think Darcy Kemper is just about fine um he was the backup in game four probably could have been pressed into action and I think he's healthier now I don't know about a hundred percent healthy but the real question is does he start I, I would have to imagine if he is healthy that he does
1: yeah
0: and you know I, I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of with you there as far as um, looking at this series and being really skeptical about Nazem Kadri. I mean, I don't have any inside info, but just like you mentioned as far as the injury itself and – even if, even if he plays, what is he going to contribute? It kind of reminds me a little bit in a different situation, but Manny Malhotra with the Canucks in 2011, you know, with the eye injury, he really couldn't contribute much, but he was, he was there and he gave a little bit of a boost, but he essentially played a few minutes on the fourth line and that's all he could contribute. And I kind of see that with Kadri. The one question I have with the Avalanche, and this is where I find it fascinating between these two teams, because it's pretty much, you know, mind over matter for Tampa, the way they've gotten to this point and the way they find a way to win and, and that's how they're going to do it. And I wonder how strong the motivation is going to be from Colorado, not just because, you know, they've tried to get here so badly and now they're here and McKinnon and McCarr can feel it. But with the group they have, Frank, this team's not going to be the same next year. I mean, who knows? I mean, I think let me make this clear. I think Colorado is going to be a powerhouse for a long time. But they may have to go through a bit of a dip before they go back up again in a year because of all these uncertainties with their roster next season. So I, as much as I think Tampa's motivated, how motivated do you think Colorado is, especially with this group? They know this might be the one shot they have with this particular group.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. I would say very motivated. I mean, you, you get to this point, and also the path in which, to be honest, you really haven't faced a whole ton of adversity along the way, 12-2, and two. Not very many teams have made you even think in the series. Um, That doesn't happen all that often. You can be the most talented team, but more often than not, the most talented team in the NHL doesn't win. I think the Avalanche, after losing in the second round three straight years, recognized that. I also think um, the Tampa Bay Lightning have climbed this mountain again, third time to the Stanley Cup final in a row, in three totally different types of years you had the bubble year in 2020 the shortened season with short rest and a short summer and then this year the full 82 game slog plus the full travel and everything that comes with it and it's just different It, it it's different and they've got new faces you can point to the lightning in terms of cap casualties and some of the guys that they've lost that it's sort of an eye opener for Colorado that you've got a really good team. You're probably going to be good for a long time, but there's no guarantee that you get to this point again. So many different things happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs that you have to take full advantage when you get
1: one. Frank Saravelli of Daily Face Off with us here on Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. And you make an interesting point there, you bring up an interesting point, Frank, that, you know, I don't want to say the path has been easy for the Avalanche because no path to the Stanley Cup final is easy. They have made it look easy is maybe a better way to put it, but they haven't faced a team like the Lightning yet. And, you know, we talk a lot about the mobility and the transition game that they have, especially on the back end with guys like Kale McCarr and Devon Taves. But I wonder how much the loss of Samuel Girard. Could really, you know, show to a greater degree in this series than maybe it has to this point in the playoffs. Your thoughts on that?
2: I think that's fair. It's a possibility. I mean, Gerard is such a talented player. I think the one question mark that a lot of people that have been watching the ABS from afar have observed is, you know, not to say they're better off, you know, not having a talented player in the lineup, but. Just the size factor as well. Um, that, you know, people were saying maybe when you have a couple smaller guys out there like a Gerard and Macar, and uh some guys maybe tend to get pushed around a bit in the playoffs. That was the one knock against the ABS last year, not saying it's true or false, just saying that was one narrative that was out there, one question mark. I really think the biggest difference between what the ABS have faced in the first three rounds to now is just simply the goaltending. I mean, run through the guys that have been in net, they've chased the starting goalie from uh, game one of the series in all three rounds. You know, you had David Riddick in round one, followed by Connor Ingram. Round two, Jordan Bennington, he gets hurt, and Billy Huso comes in, looks like a deer in headlights. Round three, Mike Smith does Mike Smith things, and you got a little bit of a taste of Miko Koskinen put all those guys on the board with Andre Vasilevsky and we can play a little game of which one of these is not like the other. I mean, you talk about the lack of adversity. We've seen the body language and things sort of fire up at times for Nathan McKinnon or flare up. I should say, what happens if we get a Vasilevsky type big cat game to start the series, especially after a long layoff or a couple games, does that frustration factor begin to play in? Mm-hmm. How will the abs manage their emotions against a team that's been there and won't blink?
0: Yeah, no, I know. I, I just love everything about this series and I can't wait to chat about it more next week as well, Frank, but uh, I did want to shift uh, our sights towards the Rangers here for a moment too, especially because, well, and I thought you were going to say the Canucks. Well, we well, you know what? We're going to get to the Canucks because especially going back to an episode uh, on 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 your podcast last week, where where a certain Thatcher Demko topic came up, and I, so we'll, uh, we'll, we're going to go there. All right. <laughs> well, no, it, it's not at you. It's not at you. It's just a question. I mean, because all you okay. did was report what somebody else said, right? I mean, I totally understand what you were doing, and if anything, you said it's it's insane to trade Thatcher Demko. It is insane. It is. So, <laughs> I, I, so
2: let's let's add some fuel to it. Okay, I'm here for it. Let's right.
0: do it. I love it. All right, we'll do that coming up in a second. But I did want to just ask about the Rangers too, because. They're a team that probably got, went a bit farther than they expect as much as they were really motivated this season, but they also made a couple of big deals to get there, and Andrew Kopp and everything else going on with his deal. What do you think the Rangers do this offseason? Are they going to be aggressive, or are they going to be looking to take care of business internally more than anything else?
2: I, I think they'll be looking at a bit of everything. Um, you know, I, I think they've got some flexibility with Strom obviously being an unrestricted free agent. Uh, They'd like to improve their team. I think they really liked the way that Andrew Kopp played, for instance. Um, Don't know their feelings quite yet on Tyler Mott. The injury, I think, kind of loomed large in terms of that decision-making process. And the one thing about the Rangers, though, is they have to really keep an eye on their salary cap two, three, four years down the road. It's not just about what can you afford on the cap this year it's about what can the what does the entire puzzle look like later? And they have the benefit of the Fox deal being done. And, you know, Zibanejad and Kreider, like they're well taken care of. They're in a good spot on that front. Um, But this no doubt is a puzzle to put together. So um, that's also kind of the fun part for the Rangers now is to find those complimentary pieces. It's not just, you know, what's the next step that your young guys take? It's also what vets, as the youngest team in the playoffs this year, can we surround this group with that help us try and chase that championship?
1: Well, and another interesting storyline for the Rangers coming out of the series against Tampa uh, is Capo and the healthy scratch in, in game six. How much should we read into that? And do you think he's a player that they would at least you know, be open to talking about in trade this off season, in terms of trying to make some moves to help that roster going forward.
2: You know, I, I had heard his name come up briefly over the last couple of years. And I think here's the thing that's probably pretty safe to say, and I, I don't think I'm radioing myself or, or, you know, throwing out some big headline. <laughs> if the Rangers can acquire a truly special difference maker, and it involves putting up capo caco as part of this, you know, the deal to make it happen. I think they would do it. Like I think their team is that has shown at this point to be that close. And especially if it's someone that you can either get with some term or someone that, you know, you can resign long-term that sort of takes the edge off of giving up on a young player at this point in his career. They're really well stocked, like having, Alexi Lafreniere do the things that he did at age 20 and the development that we saw in the playoffs some big goals from Philip Hedel that's that's huge and to to potentially take one of you know the players off of that kid line I tend to not read too much into uh, how it played out in game six with him being a healthy scratch I know Larry Brooks in the New York Post brought up the idea of Yes, Perry caught Kanyemi and how that left such a sour taste in his mouth. He ends up going to sign an offer sheet with the Carolina Hurricanes. I feel like this was a little bit different. It was a moment in time. Um, And sure, there's frustration there, I I could imagine, uh, after the way that line played throughout the playoffs. That, you know, I don't think there's any, you know, they're not looking out there on the market today saying, where can we send Capo Caco? I can tell you that.
1: Well, and you talk about it being a, a special player that, that could help them long term. To bring it back to the Canucks and Satin, and I talked about this a bit off the top of the show. Does JT Miller fit that mold? Like, could he be someone the Rangers look at? Or is the dollar amount on any potential extension for him going to price him out as someone the Rangers would look to maybe try and acquire?
2: I don't think you can price yourself out on a guy like JT Miller. Like, I think if you're able to get your hands on him, not only are you giving up Caco as part of the package, on, you know, on top of that, you're signing him to whatever it takes to get the deal done because I think he's that much of a difference maker. Mm-hmm. He was already in New York. They're familiar with him. He's familiar with the market and the team. Um, and I think teams sort of work themselves into a lather thinking about how you know, how do we get this guy in here at this number and how do we manage this and that? It's like, get him in there and get him playing and then determine after the fact what you need to do in order to make things happen in the sense that, you know, if you need to move out some other players that you were once committed to in order to keep JT Miller, well, then you do it. You find a way. You know, you deal with that part after the fact that people get so twisted about what they already have on the books.
0: Yeah, and well, you know that's a question though with with the Rangers because I know Vancouver liked Braden Schneider obviously, but do they move off him? If not, does that change things for Vancouver? But I, I am really interested to see what happens with JT Miller now. An offshoot of that, and you know there there's been lots of reports too over the last little while, and I think Patrick Alvin and Rutherford themselves talked about how they want leadership to improve and everything. But when you hear the notion of they want to shake up the leadership group, they want to do different things and and change things over does that come as a surprise to you or is that just a continuation of the things we've heard since day one that this organization is very much looking to shake things up significantly if they're able to do so?
2: Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily shake things up, but just go through the proper evaluation process. Just because you're handed something doesn't mean that the right decisions have been made. And, you know, and I'm also not saying that the wrong ones have been made specifically with regards to the, to their leadership group, but, you know, when you see someone, to me, it's about who is dragging your team into the fight on a nightly basis. And when you see the impact that someone like Miller does night after night, um, you know, and there was a lot of this from Connor Garland in the first 25 to 30 games as the team really struggled. Um, You know, you have a really talented player in Pedersen, like, how do you manage all those personalities? How do you set the right tone for your team, maybe that guy is Bo Horvat. I'm not saying he is or isn't. I'm not qualified enough to make a judgment on that. I'm not there. I don't think anyone in the media is is properly qualified to make that judgment, quite frankly. Um, And, you know, whatever the team decides to do, it's going to be for the best of the team.
0: Yeah, and, and and as much as, you know, everybody's sitting here and talking about JT being the guy go out, I, I don't think that assessment's completely been made yet. Do you? About like exactly who's staying and who's going yet? I, I have not heard that, no. Yeah. And this is a two-part
2: conversation. This is not a one-sided deal where we offer you a pile of money. Like JT Miller's getting a pile of money from any team in the league. Mm-hmm. It's does he want to be in Vancouver? It's the same question that a lot of players need to answer. And this summer, it's Johnny Gaudreau in Calgary, it's JT Miller in Vancouver, and a a couple others that you really got to decide, do you want to be there or not?
0: Frank Valley, Daily Faceoff, is our guest. Now, we teased it a bit earlier. We do have to get into uh, the Thatcher Demko uh, kind of scoop you had. So in, in conversation with an executive, uh, <laughs> I know I'm calling it a scoop, but in, in conversation with an executive, he said that the Canucks should trade Thatcher Demko because he's worried about his hips and him being the next Corey Schneider. And, I mean, I think your reaction on the podcast spoke for itself. Like, you sounded dumbfounded when you heard that.
2: I kind of regret ever bringing it up honestly (laughs) with the buzz that was created on social media. Like I wasn't, that's not me looking for clicks or headlines Mm -hmm. or any like I, 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 perhaps it was, you know, maybe even a little bit irresponsible to mention just passing along a tidbit from a conversation that I was having with a really well qualified executive to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it's insane because you look at, Demko and his body of work. And you look at where the Canucks would have been last year if they didn't have him. Um, The only other thing I'll say is that it does still kind of surprise you and and hit you in the face when you go on cap friendly or hockey reference or whatever your site of choice is. And you see that he turns 27 in December. I mean, I, not saying he's obviously old at any point. We think of him as the best young goalie in the league. Maybe Jake Ottinger took that title this year uh, with his playoff run, but that's the way we've thought of Thatcher Demko. And it's like, he's getting close to reaching middle age of an NHL goaltender. So um, I don't know, maybe just something to tuck away in, in your back pocket and, and talk about in, June when there's not that much else to talk about.
0: Well you know the the funny thing about all that is because if you if you look at when Thatcher Demko was drafted, it was the first year Jim Benning was in charge. And there's so much talk about eight years in charge of this organization. Well, it's been eight years since Thatcher Demko was drafted, almost nine years since he was drafted, right? So I mean the years kind of catch up on you pretty quickly sometimes.
2: They do. Just ask me, just look <laughs> at my mugshot.
0: Man, hey man, listen. Uh, I am very much graying exponentially as well, Frank. So I feel you, man. Listen, it's always fun chatting with you, Frank. We appreciate uh, the fun. And, and people on Twitter and, and on our text inbox were joking that the executive was probably an executive trying to get Thatcher Demko. So maybe that's what it was.
2: Yeah, who knows? <laughs> maybe. Uh, I think their team may or may not be in need of a goaltender. can't say for
0: sure. Well, it's one of those things. Hey, Frank, thanks so much for your time, man. We appreciate it. Thank you,
2: guys.
0: Have a great night. Yeah, that's thanks, awesome. Frank. Uh, Frank Valley, Daily Face Off, but Batch. I mean, you should have seen the reaction on social media. I mean, I, I know, oh, I know, you I kept tab- only imagine, yeah. man. I know you kept tabs on social media while you were in Europe. But not only that, just like the vibe on the text inbox, people calling in, you know, to the producers when this kind of topic came up, like, it got people fired up last week.
1: Oh, I'm sure you know. On the best of days, it doesn't take much to fire up Canucks Twitter. So let alone uh, uh, a prominent NHL executive suggesting that the team should trade their most valuable player and franchise goaltender. I'm sure people took that in stride. No, well, no overreaction at all.
0: No, certainly. I mean, every, everybody took that completely at face value. Now, uh, <laughs> you know, but but I do believe he brought up a really interesting point, but also shows you with goaltending, and I know it's changing because we are seeing younger goalies come in now, but even Jake Ottinger has taken a couple of years, goes to college, and you know, he, he's been fantastic, but it's not easy for goalies to come in. And the Canucks drafted Thatcher Demko in 2014 batch.
1: Yeah, and 2014 doesn't feel like it's that long ago to me. Uh, but here it's we are now. eight years ago. Eight years ago, I know. Like <laughs> This is what getting older must feel like, where it's like, oh, yeah, that wasn't that long ago. It only just happened. Oh, it was nearly a decade ago. Great. Um, so, yeah, you know, Frank brings up a great point there that, that, you know, as much as we see Thatcher Demko as one of the new up-and-coming young star goaltenders of the NHL, in three years from now, he's going to be 30. Uh, and, you know, goaltenders obviously are on a different age curve than players are. So, uh, you know, maybe we don't talk about the, the 30-year-old number as much with goaltenders as we do with, with skaters in terms of their game dropping off. And, you know, we have seen some goaltenders be able to play at a high level well into their 30s. But it, it really is amazing that, that Thatcher Demko is going to be 30 Three years from now, um, but that said, you know I'm still not trading him. With oh the, yeah, with the contract you've got him on, with the term you've got him under, you know, there's an argument to be made that it's one of the best contracts in the National Hockey League. So yes, um, you know you can't, you know, for a moment, you know, putting aside the joking about this comment by an executive and taking it at face value. You can't trade one of the best goaltenders in the NHL on a team-friendly contract because of a hypothetical injury that he may suffer going down the road or, you know, the way his career could hypothetically be affected. Um, You know, it's an easy comparison to make because Corey Schneider was here and thatcher demko here now and they're both you know they were both highly touted young american goaltenders that the team brought along a little more slowly than than maybe you know otherwise teams would have but uh that's where the comparisons end for me uh i i would not be moving thatcher demko you know we talked about this all season long sat where when we're talking about the moves this organization is going to make you know, you, you can trade basically anybody on the roster, but there's two or three guys that are nailed down that you are not moving, and Thatcher Demko is one of those guys. Yeah,
0: I mean, you mentioned one of the best contracts in the National Hockey League. Any contract that's not an entry-level contract, there are not many that are better than Thatcher Demko. I'd actually say that no goalie in the National Hockey League, that's not on an entry level contract is on a better contract than Thatcher Demko. Maybe Shisturkin. And, maybe. And, and here's why I say Demko's contract's better than Shisterkin's. Shisturkin is slightly more, like one point five point two or five point one six or whatever, or five point three, whatever it is, but it's three more years. You get Demko at five for four more years. You get Demko yeah. signed throughout his entire prime until the age of thirty-one at a five million per season. And that is something you don't get to do very often. You get you get the player at his absolute peak. At incredible value. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's where I'm at. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great discussion around Thatcher Demko. All right. Uh, We're way late, like I usually let things go. You know me, (laughs) man. I can be tardy. All right. uh, We're going to have more on Canuck Central coming up in the next hour. Eric Erlinson is coming up. And also, Don Taylor right here on Canuck Central.